and welcome to the IAA Mobility Visionary Club. Today, it's all about circularity. We're talking sustainable materials, end-of-life design, and everything you need to know about the circular economy. Coming up. A lot of us are trying to live more sustainable lifestyles, but what does that really mean in the context of mobility? Here to piece it all together, I have an excellent panel joining me. Let's start over here with Louisa. Louisa Müller-Hofstetter, you're coming to us today from Circular. It's wonderful to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about Circular and what you do there. Just a few sentences. Sure. Happy to be here, by the way. And um, yeah, Circular is a global tech company. Um, what we basically do is um, we are the leader of traceability when it comes to enabling traceability and therefore supply chain transparency in very complex industrial supply chains. And um, we track raw material basically from the mine or from the primary source to the manufacturer, to the market. All right. That's very important when it comes to circular design. And we're going to be talking exactly. more about that later on. Here to my right, I have Daniela Bollinger. Daniela, welcome. You're the head of sustainability at BMW Group Design. What brings you here today? Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm very glad to be here in the studio. Well, um, sustainable design, I think, is something which is, uh, uh, is something we really have to embed in the future in all design principles and uh, especially how we do it at the moment at BMW, which helps us to go into this whole transformation um, on circular economy. Right. So let's talk about that. We've a got bit. a lot to dig into, Danielle. <laughs> We're really pleased to have you here. Up here on the screen, I have Carla Voigt. She's the head of sustainability at Aware the Platform. They're a holistic partner for guidance in sustainability. Carla, what does that mean? Break it down for us quickly. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, well, what does it mean? So everything we do uh, revolves around the question of how to give guidance um, uh, in sustainability. And um, we do this with um, certain instruments. But I think the overarching um, context is that we try that... Um, giving impulses, curating content, and then letting or bringing people together in a broad network of different experts will accelerate uh, sustainability and really help to, to find better sustainability solutions faster. All right, that's something we're going to be touching on during our panel today. We're very happy to have you. We've got another guest joining us remotely, Fabrizio Barilari. He's the head of Product Portfolio Management Sustainable Solutions at Ruschling, a word that is difficult for an American to say. I don't know about Italians. Fabrizio, say a few words about why you're here and joining us today. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Um, I'm also here because we all understand that the circularity is not something that one single company can do, specifically not in a mobility. It's about integrating vehicle manufacturers, component suppliers up to the level of raw suppliers. And as a member of a tier one component supplier, I believe it's interesting to share views and to discuss also the challenges that we are facing in these years. Excellent. We're so pleased to have you here. And finally here, to my left, Alexander Maya Zumfeder. You're a partner and associate director at Boston Consulting Group, focusing on sustainability and circular economy. Why are you excited to be here today? 
Well, first of all, thanks a lot for the invitation. I'm very excited because I think we have a very good panel together and it's a topic that's nascent but thriving and we really need to accelerate the development. So I'm very excited for the discussion to follow. Excellent, we're excited <laughs> to have you here with us. Let's dive right in, shall we? Complete this sentence for me and everyone is gonna get a turn so we won't all go at once. <laughs> Circularity is more than recycling because. Louise. Mm, um, for me, circularity is sort of the Champions League of sustainability. Mm. Um, leave it right there. I like that. Okay. <laughs> How about you? Why is it more, more than recycling? Because it is a holistic transformation um, in the industry and also I think this is how we lead the future in production um, on a kind of like prospered future. So circularity is a solution for me under the topic of sustainability. Okay. Carla, do you want to share your thoughts with us? Yeah, I think um, uh, whilst uh, you can recycle products, circularity is more than a system. So there are no circular products, but rather circular systems. So for me, it's a really systemic approach and goes way beyond recycling. Mm. Alex, do you have any thoughts? Yes, I think it's way more than recycling because it's the only way how we can sustainably run business in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly more than recycling because we need to think about the materials we're using, the way we produce and design products. But we also need to think about how we create additional value and thrive staying within planetary boundaries. So it's way more than simply recycling. Way more than recycling. Would you agree, Fabrizio? Oh, yes, absolutely. I would even define it as the holy grail of sustainability and circularity. <laughs> is to re reduce absolute waste. Any energy, any effort, any hour that an engineer spends designing a component, it all has to do also with circularity. So any waste of final material up to the waste of a single operating hour of a human being, that is what circularity is about. All right, so we've got the Champions League, we've got the Holy Grail. <laughs> Clearly, we all agree on one thing. This is hugely important. Let's talk about this in the context of the mobility industry. What does this look like? And I, I want you guys to feel free to just jump in because if a topic moves you, I want you to speak on it. But what do we mean about this in the mobility industry, Daniela? Well, I think in the mobility industry, the, the, whole, the whole idea of circularity has to bring us new principles of how we build our car. So I think circularity means for also for the automotive, automotive industry to start from zero again. You can't just redesign the old and then trying to implement circular, circularity step by step. But I think it has to be this paradigm and shift of like starting from a new platform. Mm. And then you can seriously embed circularity. Okay. So in, in a way, it's a little bit starting from scratch. Is that fair to say? That's what I, yeah, that's, yeah. that's would be the best. Does anyone feel confident to give us a rough definition of the circular economy? Maybe if someone at home is like, what is this? I've never heard of it. What, it, what do we mean exactly by this? I would actually say, to, to very simplify it, how I would explain it to a child, it's really trying to provide mobility for anyone on the planet 
without using new resources. So it's really the whole ecosystem of thinking through um, what materials do we need in order mm. to produce something? How do we design mobility and services going forward? And how do we ensure it's being utilized, it's being maximized in usage as much as we can until the materials break down? Mm. And how do we ensure then towards the end that those materials are being reused, repurposed, and that we do not need to extract any new fossil materials in the planet, but really try to provide the services with the resources we have available. Mm. It's a beautiful vision. So let's start here <laughs> with circular materials. What are the challenges right now in using circular materials? What, what obstacles are we confronting and trying to overcome? Uh, obstacles, I don't know. I'd rather see it, what, what are the opportunities, right? And I think there are, there are many um, raw materials that are perfect for recycling because they don't lose quality when you recycle them. Mm. And um, we, for example, at Circular, look at raw materials that are uh, especially ethically and envir environmentally challenging. Um, so this is typically the cobalt, um, but also the lithium, the nickel, the manganese, the graphites, and less lesser known raw materials such as mica, for example. And um, if you bring those materials, which are extracted as an ore from the earth, and then you they travel through like various chemical processes, change continents at least three times. Let's say a typical journey is from Africa to Asia to Europe, uh, as we, as we know it. And um, and then, of course, along this way and along those production steps, there's an awful lot of carbon emissions um, being produced. And um, the good thing about those materials is when you recycle them in a good way or in a correct way and have the right technologies for it, they don't lose quality. Mm. Basically, that's, that's the beauty of, of recycling those materials because it's an endless wheel that can spin. And what, what you said, Alexander, it's, um, so you don't lose the carbon emissions that have been produced along the way. It's, um, it's basically retaining value that you already have. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's the beauty of it, yeah. How do we, Maybe if, if I go ahead. Please. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's that's a very um, nice perspective. However, when, when it comes to, to materials um, that have a value per se, um, of course, there is already quite a... Um, recycling rate however then the limits come through the um, recycling method if you will because it's it's really hard to uh, for a material to be recycled 100% pure and once there are some impurities involved of course the the, the physical physical characteristics change and then it might not be suitable to stay within the same loop within one industry um, so, so it might kind of um, try to or it might be needed to go to another um, industry, which could also be a closed loop. But however, it's not so easy. And, and there are the recycle, recycling industry limits to, to recycle um, the materials. And if we think about metals, for instance, steel, aluminium, at 100% um, purity. And when it comes to rubber or plastics or glass involved, then it's even, it's even a different story and um, how to, to recycle those materials such that you can um, really have them at a high cr uh, quality um, to use them again within one loop. What does this process look like? Paint me a picture. How do you identify this is a circular material? This is what we should be using. Yeah, that, that's the biggest challenge, I, I would say. So this is what we are addressing at the moment. Um, if you have, let's say, recycled steel and primary steel, 
you wouldn't tell the difference because the recycled one is actually not green. So it looks the same, it smells the same, it has the same um, characteristics. Um, you can only know that something is um, recycled if you trace it, if you know where it's coming from, mm -hmm. if you know the source of it. Um, the challenge, uh, what you addressed early on, and, and also adding to what Carla just said, is the challenge there is, is that currently, and, and Daniela will know the best, um, the industry doesn't pay more for recycled or for greener material. Mm -hmm. it's, it's unrealistic that mm -hmm. you can charge for premium. And therefore, the like we need to somehow incentivize the industry, everybody along the supply chain to, to recycle in order to yeah, make a business case out of mm. it, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, I think. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> Go ahead, yes. Fabrizio. I see you raising your hand. <laughs> it's your turn. Yes, exactly. No, indeed, I think it's a very interesting discussion. Um, for us, if you look specifically at plastics, uh, as mentioned correctly by Carla, um, recycling today leads to a loss of mechanical properties of uh, most of the materials we're dealing with, which means that the next vehicle that is constructed with those components will not have the same qualities that we expect as a customer, let's say, to be every vehicle, let's say, the same and get to the same amount of years uh, of life and even have a second life after that. And that is, let's say, key. And this is where I think a full integration of design with material properties and thinking of what happens at the end of the vehicle's life cycle, whether it's an e-bike, uh, a truck, or uh, a personal car. Um, every single mobility solution, we should think about what happens after that use of that specific vehicle comes to an end and how can we use as much as many components of it for another use be it as uh, a household generator for batteries uh, and so on. Mm. That is, let's say, one of the main topics and, and challenges that uh, we are dealing with daily. Yeah, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, and maybe adding to that. So I think what's really interesting, and that's why the question is, explain it to me in simply terms, mm. how does the recycling work? I think the problem is we should start and all agree we need to recycle anyway. So let's rather look at what materials are currently being recycled that we can already put back into cars, but simply are not being put into mobility solution because of price, because of maybe the color is not the right quantity, because the sourcing structure would look different. So there's elements we can already repurpose today that are available. We simply don't do it because past value chains have not been designed in that way to do that. Mm. Then there's those materials where we only need smaller upgrades, where we need um, a little bit technological innovation, where technology is already available to recycle but haven't been scaled because the price is not there, because it's not incentivized, because the demand is maybe not, not there yet. Yeah, so those are the ones, next steps 10 years out. But I'm actually fairly positive that we can get there if, as a society, we put the right focus on it. And then there's a couple of materials, especially in mobility, which are unique. You need high-performance carbon materials. You want to do lightweight. You're looking at trade-offs versus carbon and so on, where you're actually putting different materials together that are extremely hard, almost impossible to separate at end of life, mm -hmm. to disaggregate and to use in cars again, right? However, for those, as a society, we need to start agreeing on, we need other solutions. 
solutions. And those can be that we're using, for example, on textiles. Yeah, Most people don't even know. Some of the fashion we're wearing today ends up in car seats or in fiber materials in the future. There's other parts where if you talk about nylon, extremely hard to recycle today, you might know it um, when wearing trousers and these kind of things. They also go in hood covers for engine covers. However, they are blended with glass. So maybe we can use it a second time there and need, then need to find a solution where we can use the glass and the nylon towards the end. And I think that's really the complexity and none of our value chains and businesses today are really designed in a way to incentivize how to think about it. Mm. And then just the last comment, we need to do it today because we're looking at a timeline if we want to hit for the Paris Agreement on the carbon perspective, if we are looking at how we are running out of resources, how value chains have been disrupted twice in the last three years and we are stopping production because we don't have access to those materials. Mm. We have some of those in our country, but just because of regulation, because of prices, we're dumping them into landfill or we're throwing them into the environment. And I think that's really where we need to think through on how we can enable a circular economy going forward. Mm. And I mean, your, your design example of the iVision circular car is tremendous about it. Yes, it, it's the first step from the industry, but I think it's very impressive to think through really on how do I get access to these materials? How do I design it? And how does the future look like? Because it, it'll go into production eight years from now, comes back in 10 years, and then we're hitting 2040, 2050, and we're not left with resources and carbon budgets. So we need to start today. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. Um, there are two things which are, I, I, I have a question on. It's the first thing is, if we design our, what we design now is on the market 2028. I mean, that these are projects I'm working on at the moment. If we are talking about resources and we want to work with recycled content, and if I do kind of like pre-developments at the moment with the material, which is absolutely not in the stage where we project it being in 2028. So what is what can be my assumption on the technology, on, on the quota, also on the quantity of materials? I mean, if I gonna put that in a in a new, say for example, five series, we need a lot of that. So what is the where is the industry? And where and how far can we actually push that? And the second question I have is, how do we work with bio-based materials when it comes to circular economy? Because we know that we need bio-based materials to also lower our carbon footprint. We can't, on, we can't only do it with recycled materials in general. So what kind of role does a bio-based material plays in this whole story of right. recycling? Yeah. And I'm not clear about that. So maybe one of you guys can give me an answer. <laughs> Let's quickly define what we mean by bio-based materials in case anyone is watching and is like, I'm not fully up to speed on what that is. What is So I mean, uh, calling materials which are growing, like, uh, or we call it fast-growing materials like hemp or like, uh, um, well, any, anything which is growing, mm -hmm. say it like this. But you can also go into, into biologies and then you can say you can grow it in the lab. It doesn't need to be growing on the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So because we have also um, issues on like no feed, no food. If you're going to cut uh, materials from, from, from the land, that might cut people's food. Mm -hmm. So this is a big debate what we have, how, how we can actually embed bio-based materials going up to the point that you have it in the laboratory. Hmm. So growing without any kind of like uh, sources yeah. rather than air and whatever it needs. Super interesting topic. Is that also part of the circular economy then? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, just to add more complexity uh, to the <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it more complicated. That's why it's the so whole I'm sure Fabrizio also has <laughs> this. this uh, yeah, and then we'll come to Fabrizio. <laughs> or maybe let's come to Fabrizio first because it's definitely his, uh, his, his topic, uh, yes, his, his own turf. Not very <laughs> gracious. Fabrizio, the floor is yours. I did not want to spoil anything here today. So it's, uh, no, but um, we understand the question about bio-based materials is absolutely valid and it's it's critical because recycling alone is not going to be sufficient considering the amount of materials that we need for mobility solutions. So a bio-based solution for us, we have started development already 10 years ago and we are now on the market two years ago with a development with a material which was jointly developed with a chemical company and that was that is based on sugarcane. Now sugarcane for example is indeed uh, also used for food but we grow it on land which has been defined as never ever being able to let's say grow uh, crops for the food industry so only for industrial usage. However if you would need and calculate to the quality, to the quantities that we need in the future, then of course you will come into collision with the food industry mm. sooner or later. So the point about being able to grow it, let's say, in a more closed, segregated area where you are not, let's say, competing with land, is absolutely uh, valid and is very interesting topic to see because sugarcane as a plant is quite fairly easy to grow. It doesn't require, let's say, a very specific type of uh, of soil or to do it on. So bio-based, uh, especially the plastics, have a very important role. And I think in the mobility industry, we are there lagging behind. Mm. Packaging industry is years mm. and years ahead. And um, everything we're using now, if you go to the supermarket and buy a bag, it's already fully recycled and you can throw it together with the rest of your food, let's say, that you're, that you're eating and it will degrade automatically. And I think in mobility, that's the next step we have to say. Uh, and that we have to do jointly in a, allow the introduction of these materials where I'm confident that the end users will start asking for it uh, find a way to absorb the extra cost as we have to be honest there is an extra cost versus let's say a standard petrochemical material and um, it will be part of a solution that also includes recycling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, in? yeah um, I, I wanted to basically because now it feels like we're speaking like that recycling is the ultimate goal, right? Mm -hmm. And I always like to also shift the focus a bit on the dark side of recycling. And also recycling is not only the ultimate goal because, um, and relying to what um, Daniela said is like, with the, the big question is uh, what can I calculate with in like seven or eight years? Mm -hmm. And the circular economy, as opposed to the linear economy, um, is basically where... Um, the very downstream, the recycler, now becomes the upstream, right? So also the, um, the the positions and the participation within the supply chain changes. So there will be new business models, there will be new responsibilities. And um, because the recyclers, when they receive something, they ultimately need to sell that material again, right? Because why, why, otherwise, why, why should we do it? I mean, we're not recycling it and then chuck it away, right? So it needs to go, somehow needs to go back into the value chain. And, um, and I think the prediction of what is available in the future, not even in like five or six years, but also in one year, uh, is very difficult and it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my opinion, and of course I'm biased here, but uh, you ultimately need data to, to enable circular economy or to accelerate it. Because if you don't have the data, 
and let's not use the word data because it's it's uh, or let's demystify it if you don't have information mm. about a certain product you won't be able to make predictions you won't be able a recycler won't be able to to tell i don't know the next next in line of the supply chain to say like next year i can sell you 100 tons of recycled cobalt for example because he ultimately doesn't know what ends up in his facilities yeah. Yeah. and he also doesn't ultimately know how much cobalt content does the product have because not like a like a, a rock of cobalt arrives at this facility but a car battery arrives at this facility so there are different battery technologies so that means different amounts of cobalt different amounts of lithium are in this battery how should the recycler know what will ultimately end up is at his recycling yard and then potentially can sell and bring back into the loop and um you need this information data um, in order to make those decisions and um, and the battery passport or the, the battery regulation for example is uh, will definitely help with that it, it's an interesting point and I, I want to go back to what you were saying about needing needing to have this information available it's so important for designers when we talk about circular design how do you go about embedding circular design? into a car. Walk, walk us through, what, is, what does that look like? And, and give us the layman's terms, okay? We're not all designers here. <laughs> well, um, it is actually not only um, about design, it's also, that this is now a cross-industrial thinking. It's uh, engineering and design has to work together. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not about the surface. I mean, design is normally doing surface, um, exterior, interior. But uh, since this is coming into the whole pieces and it's about the modules itself. So if, for example, take a door, a door panel and the door panel nowadays uh, is ma probably made out of like 10 or 12 different materials. They're glued together. They're connected strongly together. You can't, you can't separate them. And there are, um, so the recycling part is possible. It's not possible. So when it comes to circular design, that would mean that you think how you can connect the materials, less materials, one material group, yeah, so that you can easily recycle it. Then how can you, if you, how can you dismantle it easily? That would mean you don't glue. So you need other connections. And then circular design also means how can you make this design then reduce it to the max? What will end up in a design where you probably would think it's too clean. So now it's the next level of how can you make this sexy? How can you make this appealing? That you have a very, very reduced, also ultimately dismantable uh, piece in the end. Yeah. Um, made probably out of one mono material, which would be, this would be the best. So you can just take it out, you label it as this mono material, and then you can put it in the shredder. So it, it's a huge, it's a huge topic. And one thing I want to point out is that, as you just mentioned before, for example, polyester or any kind of plastics, it can come in total different ways. Mm. You can make a textile out of it, a foam. You can make injection molded. So you can have total different properties made out of one single material, which could mean you touch a surface which, which is soft and textile. And it's the same material going all the way down to the whole door. Mm. So that is the huge challenge now. Yeah. Gosh, it does sound like a huge challenge <laughs> when you describe it like that. 
give us an optimistic trigger. Why is there a reason? Oh, you can Car see. Carla, but I can't. Carla, Carla, jump in. To jump in. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm I, happy I afterwards. Want to stress, um, I think that we are talking about um, probably two different work streams here. And one is um, exactly designed for circularity to really implement everything that is needed for circularity already in um, the, the product design and then also communicating with um, recyclers, with waste management factories and really try to work together there such that you can recycle material at a perfect um, quality standard and um, most efficiently such that you can make a business case out of it. And then the other question is what can we do right now because option number one comes with a certain time lag as you said Daniela but actually we need to act now and um, so this is something that I that also relates to you Louise and where we need data but also technologies and we need to elaborate okay what are the technologies um, and the innovations we can use right now creating new value chains to make the um, uh, well the processes we have um, as circular as possible. And I think these are a bit of kind of different, um, different work streams and they are probably, um, connected by, by, by cooperation or bigger alliances, but also by, by data and technology. Mm. Yeah. And, and maybe adding, adding to this, I mean, it all sounds very complex and very challengeful, but the good news is it's possible yeah. and it's, it's possible and available today, of course. There will be new technologies, there will be um, improvements, but it is possible today. That's the very good news. Nobody has an excuse anymore to say like, oh, I would like to, but I cannot, uh, right? So um, plus the urgency you addressed, like we, we need this now. And um, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges, what, what, what you just said, Carla, is actually changing mindsets. Mm. Because you have the tools, you have the urgency, so it's like, what are we waiting for? And uh, I think, yeah, the big, one of the biggest challenges to overcome is to, to, to bend that linear economy into a circular one is actually the mindset and, and start collaborating along the supply chain. Yeah, but I've, I also think you have to enable, um, I mean, enabling people... Um, huge companies like car companies can, I mean, I can see how difficult it is from a cradle to grave to like a circular system to go, to go into a circular system because we are still in this production line of, of say classic production. Mm -hmm. So the enabling in steps is I think the biggest part. Yes. And it is a mind shift too. And a knowledge shift. We need a lot of knowledge at the moment. And yeah. on, on, yeah. on that one, maybe, yeah. I mean, you were initiating the question on it's so complicated, yeah, and everyone needs to do his or her part of the chain, yet how can we be optimistic? I mean, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm actually fairly optimistic for a couple of reasons that we will act quicker on circularity than it took us calm. I mean, calm, it took us 25 years to agree on there's a problem, right? On circularity, it took us five years, and all the businesses are working towards solutions. Some are better, some are not. As, as effective yet. But why am I so positive? First of all, um, if you look at how the mind shift already takes place, it's initiated by business cases. By business cases, it will happen in the future. And business case doesn't necessarily mean I have my profit today. But if you're looking at all the large OEMs are building that are having their own cell production, battery cell production, are now building recycling plants next to their EV plants. Yeah. Despite the fact we know those batteries last longer than we thought, they come back in 10, 12, 15 years from now, the volumes are really low. But everyone knows if I don't have access to that material, if the re resources come from Congo or if we have another 
stupid thing like Ukraine going on, our business will shut down. So the whole business case is around risk mitigation. The second part is regulation. Mm. Till 10, 15 years ago, there was no discussion of internalizing external costs. Yeah, We didn't have the carbon prices. We didn't have any taxes on non-recycled plastics. We didn't have any import fees for for raw materials and these kind of things. We didn't have minimum recycled content quotas and such so, so things. If it's regulation, businesses will do so. Otherwise, they stop to, to, to do their businesses. And then thirdly, I think people are realizing this is fun to do. Yeah. Right? No, it, it really is. I mean, we used to optimize value chains for costs. We squeezed out the last cent. Um, now we're rethinking how do we use materials? How can we build collaborations? Are we integrating backwards? Are we suddenly partnering with recyclers or becoming a recycler to get access to materials? But also on the positive side, business models are changing. We haven't even touched upon the whole idea of the mobility of the future doesn't need to be everyone has its own car. Maybe we have sharing models, so we're using the resources, the scarce resources we have and utilize them a little bit more. The whole design or interior of a car might actually shift in 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, You might get more people in there. You might have six or seven airbags, which needs more uh, more material, but in the end, we can recycle fibers. We can already recycle fibers today. Um, the reason why we haven't done it is our linear value chains are optimized for cost in a way that it's not cost competitive unless you have regulation, resource scarcity, access to materials coming in. And all of this has, has seen a dramatic shift in the last two, three years. So that actually makes me a little bit more optimistic that we are moving faster on this topic than we have been in the past. Yeah, and I like the point you're touching uh, touching on there. Um, Sam, I think we have been always talking about circular economy and recycling and the realm of sustainability, which is good and which is correct. But um, there are other aspects to it, resource security, for example, you just named, because this is this is good that we are not only seeing this in sort of like a green luxury corner. Um, you know, we here in the Western world, we should uh, recycling and use recycled packaging and all of those things. But to actually get this geopolitical aspect to it really grows in importance and will ultimately accelerate. And, and yes, that makes me also uh, very... Um, yeah, forward-looking to the future, let's say, that we, we, we arrive there faster than we would think. Yeah, that's certainly a, a touch more optimistic than it was sounding there <laughs> towards the middle. Uh, I think we had a finger over here on the wall. Is that Fabrizio? <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you. No, I'm, I'm actually also very optimistic, actually. I'd like to be... Um, <laughs> We're no, a happy panel for one, here. <laughs> for one, yes. But for, for one single reason, is that something that we are confronted with, all companies are confronted with that, that is finding people. Mm -hmm. There is today, uh, we all depend on people in order to have a successful company. And there is today a very tricky situation on, let's say, uh, the market to find the resources to work for the business. And what we see is that from everybody who's now leaving, let's say, university, leaving college, or let's say just starting their career, already advancing their career, the questions that come into job interviews are always about what are you doing about sustainability? What are you doing about circularity? But the things you take or that you buy, where do they come from? Do they travel around the entire globe before they reach your factory or are they produced locally? All of these questions show that people are now very conscious about what's going on, how the economy works and how to reduce, let's say, their own 
individual footprint on how heavy they weigh on the planet itself. And this is what makes me personally very optimistic itself. You will not be able to hire people in the future if you do not have these values as central as core and you can demonstrate them already in a first job interview. Mm. That's a really interesting point. It's going to be part of that war for talent to make sure you're you know, attracting the best candidates. I want to hear a little yeah, bit. Um, so also customers yeah. demand demand this. Um, so actually, it's it's really the um, the entire value chain may be through regulation and uh, through kind of um, laws and regulations within the supply chains, but also not only from kind of uh, as an employer, but also for the customers. And I think they also play a critical role within this whole circular construct a system um, such that um, they also I mean it's the question of who owns the cars who owns the batteries um, at the end of their life cycle and it's also a question of how do we um, enable the customer to really decide what's going to happen with his or her car kind of return models um, that really help to to get the flow back the flow of materials back um, in the cycle yeah when we talk about that end of life and recycling, what kind of collaborations need to happen to make that a reality? What would you like to see? I, I think this is the space where I've seen most of the collaborations in actually across the world. Mm. But what's really interesting, I mean, if you think about the value chains, everyone has different capabilities. So an OEM or actually a supplier knows what material went into this product. And I think that's where the challenge starts. Every car is designed differently. Yeah, You mentioned the uh, interior of a door. BMW, Mercedes, Audi, Ford, all of them use slightly different materials, slightly different design. And if you don't know what's in that, it's really hard to take it apart, first of all, and then to recycle or repurpose it in the right stream. So you actually need the collaboration on data information along the value chain, what went into this car, the information from OEMs, and really the idea on how to design, dismantle it. You need the um, dismantling services. I mean, it, we're talking about an industry where the recycling quota is extremely high. We're getting, uh, ca some cars are shipped to Eastern Europe, Africa, and so on, but somewhere they all end up with. It's valuable materials. The metals in the scrap already gets dismantled today. If you look at one of those lots, they already take parts out. You talk about the cover engine, it already gets dismantled the problem is in the end it all ends up in the same shredder mm. and best case we're getting the metals out and the rest ends in landfill or an incineration plants um, we need a collaboration in that sense that whoever dismantles the materials actually has a data platform or something where they can say this is a nylon piece this is i don't know whatever type of polymer this is the textile fibers and then the recyclers jointly with the OEMs can come in and say, okay, I'm an XYZ, I'm sourcing so much PA66, so I'm sourcing these type of materials. And then you're starting to close the loop. And that only works either if businesses are completely integrating, which you see in some circumstances, for example, in battery where there's joint ventures and so on. You see it in the chemical industry for plastics where the oil majors and the chemical companies are integrating into recycling technologies. Yeah, And then you really need the value chain and you're creating your own demand. That's really how you start to set up that system. So I, I think all the alliances we have across the world that are hosted by WEF, WBCSD, and so on, are a good initiator. In the end, it needs to move in the business world. And that's really where you find your partners. And just one sentence on where, where you see that packaging was mentioned before. We now see brands 
Yeah, actually integrating into the recycling scheme to get access to the recycled materials. They start subcontracting then the recyclers, the converters, the chem companies, and so on. But they actually integrate forward into the recycling value chain. And I honestly expect something like that for OEMs partially as well. And you see it in the battery space. It's already taking place. I mean, there's great collaborations going on. They're setting up facilities to be prepared for volumes in 10, 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. And we just need to do that not only for batteries, but we need to go component by component. And that, I think, will really change the industry. On I, how we I think there's another um, a connection we have to go deeper in uh, that's about innovation. We need, we need to look deeper into what, like, knowledge, new, fresh knowledge, a new universities, academia we have to work closer with. We have to look deeper into the startup uh, scenes where do all these super cool new innovations, where they are. And sometimes there are just two people behind that. So that needs to be supported. That needs to be connected. And um, so we have to give them a hand. Um, and all together, we have to push these, uh, these fresh new ideas to really come up with positive solutions. And it's not only about circularity and recycling. It's also about finding, connecting uh, uh, intelligent uh, systems within the car, for example, where you can actually then reduce stuff out because you can't just recycle everything and then use recycled materials um, if you if you stay with the same design all over. So you really have to refresh and come up with a new design language mm -hmm. when we talk about uh, this kind of transformation. Circular economy leads us into a new form language. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. This has been such a rich discussion. I'm conscious that we're getting to the end of things, and I want to give everyone the chance to weigh in on our final topic. It's a takeaway question for everyone sitting at home. I want you to complete this sentence for me, if you would be so kind. One thing mobility companies can do right now, today, not in five years, not next week, today, to build the circular economy is... Alex, shall we start with you? <laughs> <laughs> to start from the top to make this a strategic and a top management priority. Mm, that's a good one. It has to come from the top, you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about you, Fabrizio? Consider maybe what was before competitors or let's say equal partners as truly joint ventures. So work together on a scale that you have not done before with other companies. All right, it's all about that collaboration. One thing mobility companies can do right now, Carla. Um, it's, I think it's to strengthen and really enable the network to build an um, ecosystem um, for for, um, circular, for for circularity, really integrating all different parts like upstream and downstream suppliers, but also innovative new um May it be um, suppliers beyond the usual suppliers or um, startups, but also internally to really enable the um, the knowledge that is sitting within the company and really to um, break barriers within the company and then to work um, on this topic as an entire ecosystem. Okay. One thing mobility companies can do right now, today, <laughs> to build a That's a hot topic for me. <laughs> well, I agree totally on all what you said, but I think mostly important is that you actually 
put a lot of money in this transformation at the moment. There mm-hmm. we go. It's all about the money. It's that all about the money at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a litmus test, isn't it? <laughs> it's Do you really true. believe it or not? Louise, it's so hard to go last, but you're on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, no, I think, uh, again, of course, I'm, I'm coming... I see the impact we can enable with data, with connecting supply chain um, participants with each other. So for me, what we can do today is enable traceability and traceability is visibility and visibility is control or a tool for control. And this ultimately brings you in the position to change. You cannot just say change. Like make the calculation backwards what you need in order to make that change. And um, yeah. Enable traceability, it's not a nice last sentence, but I leave it. Enable traceability. But maybe a good last sentence is, it's an imperative, we don't have a choice. It's Mm -hmm. a question of how and by when, but there's no alternative Mm -hmm. to circularity. Yeah, and maybe, maybe just a last point. I think what is important is get ready, there's nothing easy left to do. This mm. will be difficult and yeah. this will be cost intense. And, and I think we should all agree on that. And, uh, and with that, we can only be positively surprised well, for what's coming. But I think since we are all sitting here together and talking about the topic, we are all very positive yeah. because true. we love this topic <laughs> and we embrace the topic. And um, I think that's what, why we are the ones who are probably fighting for that topic yeah. too. Yeah, so it is a positive topic, right? <laughs> there's room for optimism. I like that. <laughs> and there's also a lot of room for creativity. That was something I felt came through really strongly yeah. from all of you. There's a lot of ways to rethink things we thought we already knew and to approach this as an exciting thing we're going to tackle all together because it isn't an if, it's a when, and we need to do it now. Guys, this was such an enriching discussion. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. To my lovely panelists, Louise, Daniela, Carla, Fabrizio, and Alex, thank you so much for being here and helping us tackle this giant issue. And to all of you at home, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this, I'd encourage you to follow our IAA Mobility Club social channels. We have plenty of more content waiting for you. And don't forget about the big event in September 2023. I'll see you there.